Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast, where we are training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Good morning. How are we doing? Good? Good. Hey, I'm super glad to be here with you guys today. To continue through Mark, we're about two-fifths of the way done. Only got about five, six more months. Uh, it's been an awesome journey so far, and um, I'm really excited to dive into a lot of scripture today. So if you were lacking on your Bible reading this week, it's okay, I'll give you a pass because we're going to read almost 30 verses today. Okay, so you got to bear with me. Um, We're going to be in Mark chapter 6. If you want to go ahead and get that out in uh, your Bibles or your phones, um, we're going to be going through quite a bit. This is kind of a really cool part of Mark. We uh, last week talked about the beheading of John the Baptist. I would actually call that a little bit of a commercial in terms of what Mark is writing. Mark, uh, before that, Jesus, he writes, Jesus sends out the disciples. And basically what he's doing is uh, telling them, hey, go out to cities, cast out demons, uh, anoint, heal people in my name. He tells them, don't bring really anything other than what you got, and go to cities, and if they welcome you, great. If not, keep moving on. And so he sends them out on almost like a little, little missionary journey of training, and then this uh, John the Baptist kind of commercial hits, and then now that we talked about that last week, we're back at it, and they, they're coming back. So in Mark chapter 6, okay, verse 30, that's where we're going to be starting. I want to talk today about compassion. I would call it contagious compassion. I'm going to try and argue that when people are compassionate, that it, it changes people around them and then they become compassionate. I, I believe it. I really do. And that's what Jesus is trying to model here. We're going to talk about three different little scenarios where Jesus is extremely compassionate. And it's mainly because the disciples have come back from their journey and they've kind of completed that phase of their training. And now Jesus is going to kind of implement a new phase at which he shows them kind of a robust understanding of who Jesus is and also what, what is required of them to have a commitment to him. So there's going to be a lot in these passages, and we're going to kind of stay zoomed out just a little bit when we cover them all, because it is a lot of text. So Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Let's dive in here. The first verse, which kind of explains what I was talking about, it says, Then the apostles gathered around Jesus and told him everything they had done and taught, basically on their, on their missionary journey there. Um. Then in 31, it says, he said to them, come with me privately to an isolated place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and there was no time to eat. So we can see here that uh, Jesus is becoming more and more popular. People are starting to flock around him. People who have heard of him, people who have seen him, they follow him all around everywhere he goes because he's really only bouncing around um, kind of the the Sea of Galilee and some other areas. So he's not going too far. So all these cities have heard about him. And he's traveling around. Everybody's showing up and seeing him. Now, I want to take um, maybe like a, a two-minute kind of like step outside of the compassion sermon today. And I really am fired up about um, uh, this one particular part in this passage. So just give me a mini sermon here for two minutes, okay? Um, it says that Jesus um, basically saw that they were tired and, and he takes them away to rest. Jesus is the son of God, fully God, fully man. And Jesus rests. Jesus waited almost 30 years to start his ministry. He did three years of ministry and he rests about half the time. About half the time he's praying, resting and doing things. If Jesus rests, you need to rest. We work way too much. 
We work way too much. And if you say, well, I don't work that much. I don't work 50, 60 hours a week. Uh, and I rarely have time for my family, but I don't work that much. Then you do work too much. <laughs> a U.S. is kind of famous for working a lot, which is, which is funny. Um, as compared, we're pretty, we're pretty normal compared to like China and Japan and those areas. But Europe is, they're pretty great. They don't have to work near as much. It's kind of awesome. Uh, but, but Jesus here, it, I, I think about it. I'm like, well, why did, one, why did Jesus not do ministry longer? Why did he wait till he was 30? Why did he only do it for a few years? And two, why did he keep resting? Because he didn't need to rest. He's Jesus, okay? Let's remember that. He didn't need to rest, but he takes time to model a behavior that's appropriate for disciples and for Christ followers. So if you're not taking time to rest, it's not okay because it's a mandate here. I've been telling my youth leaders uh, as we've been going through kind of a training manual, each leader has gone through it, that uh, one of the requirements is that they take one night a week for about an hour or more, whether it's like out on a date or like out on the back patio or like they kick the kids out, whatever, and have intentional quality time with uh, their spouse once a week. And, and I, I said, look, a lot of you don't spend any time talking about your spouse about each other. It's all about the kids. It's all about the chores. It's all about this week's programs and things we got to do. And then the kids will leave and they'll graduate and you'll be like, are we married? Honestly. It's important. Resting is important. It's essential. So I wanted to just say that. So thanks for giving me that mini sermon. So let's go back into the, the full sermon here. Um, Jesus, people are flocking all around. He's like a celebrity. A lot of times you follow a celebrity because of what you've seen about them or heard about them, but you have no idea what they actually are like in person. So there's a little bit of this kind of excitement. If you've seen the movie Happy Gilmore, uh, this is kind of what I'm talking about. Uh, Happy Gilmore is a really unorthodox style golfer. And all these people start showing up to watch him play because he's super unorthodox. If you've ever watched a Masters or um, a PGA tournament, a lot of people that are there are, are wearing, you know, golf polos, and, and it's kind of a f formal event. And, uh, and if you look in the photo, it's kind of skewed, but in the movie, they got, like, frat people, college kids. They got, like, all these rambunctious folks hitting around beach balls and all this stuff, right, and cheering all the time. And it changes everything because of like Happy Gilmore's play style. And, and Jesus is sort of like this in that a lot of them are hearing things about him that are very counterculture to what they've been taught and what they've had to observe. And so they're all about like, I want to know what this guy's about. Generally for the reason of selfish ambition, right? They, they maybe want to see a healing. They want to be healed. They want to see someone, a demon cast it out of someone. Um, his teachings were pretty profound compared to what the Pharisees and Sadducees required of people. And so all these people are just showing up on the scene everywhere it goes because they want to hear what this guy's going to do. And so that's why if you look, and you can probably see in our passage, we're going to talk about the feeding of the 5,000 today. And, uh, and you wonder, well, how, how did 5,000 people get out almost in the wilderness to where they wouldn't make it back for food? This guy was, Jesus was famous. People were like loved. Um, they loved following him. So verse 34 this is probably my favorite verse of today. Verse 34 says, as Jesus came ashore, so they were in a boat and then they, they tried to get away from them and they followed them in the boat, which is really funny. They didn't go out in the middle of the, the sea. They kind of stayed toward the shore and so everybody saw them and followed them on foot to the other side. And it says in verse 34, as Jesus came ashore, he saw the large crowds and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he taught them many things. This passage has a lot of implications to it. Um, I, I, one of the biggest things was, is trying to avoid people, people still follow you, and then him not being like, get away, or they, they, stay, or they sail back to the other side of the, of the sea, right? He, he shows compassion. 
It's funny because if you read a lot of Jesus's stories where he's going, his journey, all these kind of things, he is interrupted a lot. Like half of his healings and everything and ministries are happen on the way to something else. Um, uh, Pastor Ben talked a while ago about um, the woman who had bleeding problems and she just, he was going somewhere to heal Jairus' daughter and she just touched his cloak and got healed. Like a lot of these things happen on his way to something else because interruptions to Jesus aren't a negative thing. They're a part of the posture that we should have and live as Christ followers. I think it's funny because we, when we are, um, when we are on our way to something, we are the most aggressive, mean people. And by that, I mean driving a car. <laughs> when we're on the way to something, everybody just like, you cut me off, you're dead to me, you know, like, uh, and, and I'm going to be honest with you right now, all right, you can't judge me, because I think half of me being up here is going to talk about how I'm a sinner too, okay, and uh, I went up to Mount Lemmon, and I've, I go up quite a bit, and uh, the last two times I've went up, I went up early in the morning to get there so I can get on the hike, because it's a pretty long hike, and uh, it, you, you, if you've been up there, you can get behind someone who makes the 45 minute to an hour drive, an hour and a half to two hours, and if I got up early and I'm trying to get up there, it's, it's so frustrating, so one time I got behind this car and uh, there was like nine cars behind us, right? And all the signs say, you know, turn out lane for slow cars. Okay, like if you can't read, you shouldn't be driving. Like get off the road, okay? <laughs> and this person was going so slow. So I started like subtly high beaming him, right? Start off pretty like, hey, you see those? Like every time one would come up, I would high beam, you know? Because I'm trying to defend all the people behind me too. Everybody's miserable. I know they are, <laughs> all right? And then after a while, I started to get more aggressive. And I started, like, whenever the parking pullout would come, I would just lay on the horn the whole time until, the, until we went by it. And so we're getting up the mountain. We're getting pretty far. And I'm like, of course, right? I'm behind this guy the whole time. And then sure enough, like, we get up there and there's a turn. He doesn't take it. I don't take it. Another turn. He doesn't take it. I don't take it. We both go to the same trailhead at the end of the road. The, literally the end of the road. It stops. And, um, you know, I'm, like, in my truck and I'm like, huh. Because <laughs> I was like, I was hoping I could just open the door, grab my stuff, and just start booking it down the trail. And uh, this old guy gets out, and he just looks at me, like, disgusted. And, um, and I was just like, hey, you know, there's a lot of cars behind us. You should try using those pullouts they made. And I, I said it, like, kind of nice, right? And, and he, was like, he was like, I had no reason to use them. I was driving the speed limit. And I was like, well, some people want to drive above the speed limit. So <laughs> he was not happy with me. Um, the second time, which was uh, Friday, today, or yesterday, yesterday, I was going up early again. I got behind a car. Same thing happens. I've learned my lesson, right? Just try, just be patient. No, I passed this guy because I was just like, I can't do this again. And I don't want to honk at him. So sure enough, like there's 10 cars behind us. This guy's going 20 under the speed limit. And so I find a, a point where I, I double uh, line pass. Um, I'm admitting this to you guys. Hopefully no one's a cop going to talk to me after and he like honked me the whole time. But anyways, I'm human, okay? So I am not, I don't like to be interrupted. When I'm in the zone, I wanna do what I, I think I need to do. But Jesus shows us otherwise. In our times of interruption, I think the most profound thing that we see with Jesus is that he doesn't see a problem to be handled, but a person to be loved. I think that when we have that perspective in our life, we ultimately just exude compassion. If we see things as not a problem to be solved, but as a person to be loved, it would change our reaction. Now, I don't know what it would be like with that driver. I feel like I was trying to be helpful at first, and then it just went downhill. Um, but, but, it, but Jesus has his posture. He gets interrupted all the time. The other part about this verse, verse 34, is that it talks about sheep. 
And uh, it talks about how he saw them had compassion for they were sheep without a shepherd. Now, if you look at, here's a photo of, uh, of sheep. If you look, it's just like dirt, right? Sheep are not the smartest. They're really good at eating. Uh, and they're so good at eating that they will literally, if they have grass, they will eat the grass and then they will eat the bottom of the grass and they will eat the root and sometimes even the dirt. They are not very smart. And so in this culture, a shepherd is all about circulating and moving the sheep so that they wouldn't do that. They didn't know any better. It was the way they were wired. It was the way they thought they needed to do it. And if they would do that right there, that grass is not going to grow back next year. So what they do is it's all about, it's the same with cattle, but they're not as bad. They won't like straight up just rip into the, the roots, right? But if you remove the roots, then there's not going to be any longevity for the fields. And, he's, and he sees people like that. He sees all these people who walked a very far away, followed them around the lake or the, uh, the sea, and, uh, and they're out in the middle of nowhere before they know, listening to this guy. And I think when we think about the world today, when we think about even specifically the U.S., people are just gorging themselves in roots. Very, very rarely does somebody kind of live life with them into a way where they can prod them off of, hey, you're eating the roots, come over here. Because it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to move a sheep. It's uncomfortable for the sheep to be like, I'm going to go over here because I trust where we're going. People are gorging themselves in roots and eventually they're not going to have anything left to eat. It's going to kill them. And I think that's so, so realistic of, of our sin in, in, in the world today. is like these things seem great for a while, but they'll kill you. They really will. So let's get back into the passage here. Verse 35. It says, When it was already late, his disciples came to him and they said, This is an isolated place and it is already very late. They say in verse 36, Send them away so that they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. So here we see the disciples saying, well, this is not good. Let's just have them go figure out their own food and get out of here and, and get their own stuff, okay? Which is funny because Jesus' whole point in these, next, these three stories is compassion, showing compassion to people. And, and they, they healed all these people and, and cast out demons before this. Remember where he sent them off? And they're coming back and they're, they're, they're seeing this as, as another opportunity, but they're like, well, we, we should just send them off. We should just let them fend for themselves, you know? And I think it shows that you can do a lot of really great things in life, but if you don't have a heart of compassion and of love, then you have nothing. I think that a lot of times we, hope, we try to do stuff until we have a heart of compassion, but it shows that the disciples did all these great things earlier and they still weren't even really doing it with a heart and, and the right reasons for what Jesus called them to. So Jesus says, all right, well, I'm gonna teach you now. Here's the lesson behind what you're doing. Here's the root of, of your heart. A lot of times our reason and everything we, we think and believe and, and we rationalize is actually rooted in our heart. So we'll keep, uh, keep going here. Verse 37, he answers them and he says, you give them something to eat. I love that. They gotta be like, uh, okay. And so they say, should we go and buy bread for 200 silver coins and give it to them to eat? 200 silver coins is like a, a, a normal person's wage for an entire year. So a lot of money for one meal. <laughs> Uh, and, he, and he's like, you, well, you guys give him something to eat. And Jesus kind of here is, is already knowing, like, they're not getting it, right? They're not getting that. He, he has the opportunity to provide for them physically. And so because of this, he kind of wants to show them uh, two things. One is their inadequacy of resources because they realize, like, we can't afford to pay for everyone's meal. The other thing is he wants to show how he's capable in, in, in their inadequate inadequacy in their, in their lack of resources. So he kind of says, well, why don't you feed them? Kind of setting them up for like, what do, we, what do we do? How do we do this, right? I mean, they've already seen miracles. They've done miracles, but they're like, well, I don't know how we're going to do that. Bread doesn't just appear. <laughs> That's what they thought. 
So he says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish, which is not a lot. Not a lot of, um, for, for 5,000 men plus women and children, almost maybe 15,000, 20,000 people. That won't last. Couldn't even imagine trying to split up five pieces of bread into 20,000 pieces. So Jesus is, he's really emphatic on showing that, like, look, you got to trust me here. Like, you got to trust me. You did all these great things in my name, and now you're here, and it's like you're still missing the point. And so after, the, after they, uh, they go through this, he directs them in verse 39. It says, he directed them to all sit into groups of, of, on the green grass. And verse 40, so they reclined in groups of hundreds and fifties. Now, think about This is a really cool feat, all right? 20,000 people without a microphone being like, hey, everybody, sit in hundreds and fifties. Like, that's pretty impressive. Um, the really cool thing about this phrase that Mark chooses to use is that the word they use for, um, for these groups, for groups, is, is similar to what you would say about uh, gar- garden um, crop, like areas on hillsides, which they're actually on a hillside. And, and, and so it's kind of symbolic because at one point Jesus will say, hey, uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And, he's, and it's kind of symbolically showing like, you got groups of 50 and 100 everywhere and we got me and 12 disciples to handle all of this. So it shows like there is an urgency to, um, to loving these people. And, and so it's just kind of a cool symbolism that, that is, pointed out, is pointed out in that. So in verse 41, here we go. We'll get to the actual, actual healing here. It says, He took the five loaves and the two fish, and he looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, and he broke the loaves. He gave them to his disciples to serve the people, and he divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up the broken pieces and fish that were left over, 12 baskets full. Now there were 5,000 men who ate the bread. Now, I mean, that whole story has a ton of implications. We've got to kind of keep moving just because I want to give you a really good scope of compassion. But just realize in that, that Jesus is showing the disciples a much greater thing than just doing miracles. It's the heart of compassion. That's why Mark chose to put that, and he had compassion on them in the story. So now we're, we're on another segue, walking on water in verse 45. So what happened is they did this healing up on the north, I believe it's northwest west or northeast side of, the, of Galilee. And then they take the boat and uh, they're going to go across again. And so this is kind of another interruption that Jesus has to deal with. So in verse 45, it says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and go on ahead to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dispersed the crowd. After saying goodbye to them, he went to the mountain to pray. There's another time where he rested. And when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land and he saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. As the night ended, he came to them walking on the sea for they wanted to pass by them, or he wanted to pass by them. It's kind of funny to me, like I feel like every time the disciples are alone without Jesus, things go bad. (laughs) How true is it that we'll spend weeks without praying or weeks without being in the word and talking to God and, and we have a rough time? I think that it makes us realize how much greater we are in need of a Savior. And the disciples have the same thing, which is really interesting because only a few chapters earlier, they were in a boat and Jesus was sleeping and it was storming and he just said, wind stop basically. And they would stop and they saw that. And now again, he's, he's coming with them on water and, and you'll see what, how they react. Uh, it's kind of, kind of crazy. Anyway, so as he was passing, trying to pass by them, when they saw him walking on water, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them, have courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. And then he went up with them into the boat and the wind ceased, just like that. They were completely astonished because they didn't understand about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. 
So Mark puts that in there saying like, look, they didn't get the feeding of the 5,000 even still. They didn't even see the compassion. They didn't understand it. And now, once again, Jesus is showing compassion for walking on water. He shows it to disciples in their fear and their disbelief. And they still are like, oh, I don't get it. If our hearts are hardened, we have a really hard time receiving these kind of things. We have a really hard time understanding them. We have to remember that. So let's move on to the, uh, to the last part of, of this here. Verse 53, it's healing the sick. So after they had crossed over, they came to a land, Genesaret, and they anchored there. And as they got out of the boat, people immediately recognized Jesus. They ran through the whole region and began to bring the sick on mats to wherever he was rumored to be. Wherever he would go into villages, towns, countryside, they would place the sick in the marketplaces and would ask him if they could just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. So that's the third part. As he's on the way transitioning to uh, another part of the sea, all these people know about him. Like I said, he's popular. And they just want they want just a touch of him. They just want a piece of him because they think they need physical healing. What's really cool here, uh, I think Mark is pretty, pretty smart as he's writing this letter. The word that at the end that is healed, or some versions might say cured, actually is saved in the Greek. It's saved. It's meaning he'll save them. Now, we all know, like, phys- physical things are of this world, right? They don't last forever. People actually need spiritual saving. But Jesus listened to them. He had compassion for them, even though they had the wrong reasoning, the wrong ideas. And he decided, I'm going to save them physically so that they'll understand it spiritually. So this kind of wraps up this lesson that Jesus is giving. Um, Pastor Matt's going to talk about the later sections of this, and there's some more kind of compassion elements in there. But these are three instances where Mark clearly shows compassion to all sorts of different people in all sorts of different ways. Now, here's the thing about this message is there's so many... There's so many scriptures about compassion. I could just talk about all of them. But I think the hardest thing about compassion is actually doing it. It's the practicality of what does this look like in my life? Because you can't just say, I'm going to be more compassionate and walk out the door. And then all of a sudden you're just compassionate. If it was that easy, then let me know how you're doing it. Because I wouldn't believe you. It's super hard. Okay. And, and I want to bring up a practical idea that we, I think we all kind of can understand and wrestle with. Uh, whenever I first moved out here, I lived in Sycamore Park with the Dickies. Shout out to the Dickies, thank you for hosting me way too long. You were so kind. And uh, I would drive up uh, Kolb to Kolb and Valencia, that intersection. And if you've driven that intersection, you know there's a lot of homeless people there. And if you drive it a lot, you realize they're the same people and that they've been there for a very long time. So the Christ follower in me is like, oh, I should give to the homeless, right? We're called to protect the widow, to help and serve the homeless, to love the people least of these, right? These are the people least of these. So I'm in this constant wrestling, and maybe you have too. Well, do I give them a dollar? They're probably going to spend on alcohol or drugs. I'm enabling their addiction. Do I give them a granola bar so that they can eat, but then they're going to spend the money they needed for food on drugs or alcohol? Do I give them a granola bar, and then they barter it off to get money to get drugs or alcohol, right? You start to wrestle and at the point where you're like, I don't even want to give them anything because I don't want to enable them, right? Or you think, well, maybe, you know, I could just say hi to them every day, and then that's a way to love them. Or, you know, and we start to wrestle. Like, I wrestle, like, what do I do with these people? You know, I'll give them a dollar here and there and just hope, like, that's the one dollar the Holy Spirit will use and just change their life, right? And you can hope that. Um, but, but it's hard. It's super hard. What does it look like to show compassion? Because it's not this easy formula. And, uh, and I really, really wrestled with this. I wrestled with it quite a bit because I couldn't even come up with an answer for you guys. I couldn't be like, here's the steps. Walk out the door and go do it, and you'll be compassionate. But I want to give you two quotes to help kind of shift your heart here. And then I'm going to give you some ways that God spoke to me about this. Um, the first one's by C.S. Lewis. 
he says that the alternative to a compassionate heart is a dead heart. So that, let that be a warning to you. The alternative to a compassionate heart is a dead heart. He says to love all at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. Isn't that so true? If you want to be sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, and airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that nothing we despise in other men is inherently absent from ourselves. We must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or don't do and more in the light of what they suffer. I really like that one. I should put that somewhere in my house. It's so easy to judge people. Even those homeless people, right? You're thinking, well, they're probably doing drugs. They're probably addicted, right? I shouldn't give them anything, right? That's the, I'm loving them by not enabling their addiction. Back to that whole roots idea, right? They're, they're eating, they're gorging the roots too, right? We have to realize that our response to, our, to people who are different, like our homeless, who are politically different, sexually, ethnically, uh, wealth levels, intelligence, mental illnesses, it should never be a response of disgust or anger or even apathy towards the situation, but to a heart of compassion. To see them as a sheep with no shepherd. I, I've been uh, reading this book. It's been changing my life. It's so great. It's called The Righteous Mind. And the whole idea of it is why good people disagree on politics and religion and some other moral issues. Morality is very different in different cultures and all these things. So the psychologist is trying to figure out why does this happen? He gets to the point where he realizes you can even argue your point and the other person can say that actually makes more sense than my point, but I still don't want to change. And that happens because it's emotional. And so he starts to figure out why all this is happening and he wrestles through that. And one of the pieces that he comes to is called an implicit association test. And what it is is basically that uh, whenever you are experiencing uh, a decision or an emotion, that you already have an intuitive response in your brain that's already basically leaning one way or the other. So the example I use in first service is say that I see an ice cream cone from far away. Well, immediately, I'm starting to lean toward happiness and excitement, right? I'm like, yeah, ice cream, right? Without even knowing it. I don't even, my brain just knows when Trey eats ice cream, he's happy. Therefore, when he sees ice cream, happy, okay? Now, the thing is, though, when I start to get closer and I see that it is strawberry, it's, it's already easy for me to just be happy about it because I'm already leaning that way. Oh, that's exciting. I'm happy. I'm excited. But if it's mint chocolate chip, sorry for you who like mint chocolate chip. I don't think mint should go in ice cream. Um, and I hate mint chocolate chip. I see it, and I'm like, ugh. So now I want to go over here, but I'm already leaning this way. It actually takes me longer to react this way. It's the same way in terms of compassion. When we see people and we're already disgusted by the way they look and smell, well, we're already leaning toward disgust. So why would we want to react this way? It's a lot harder for us to choose that way if we're already leaning this way intuitively. And you're probably thinking, if you're really tracking here, well, how do I change my intuitions? That's a really good question. I think a lot of it is, 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 is the Holy Spirit in prayer. I really do. And here's why I would prove this to you. Because I am terrible at compassion. I'm really bad. You can tell by my, my road uh, issues. Okay. But here's the thing is, I, I, I was praying to the Lord on like Wednesday or Thursday. It's like, hey, what? I really want to give some examples to these people about what it looks like to be compassionate. And I'm terrible at it. So give me some opportunities. You know, I'm really just hearing from the Lord. And I'm like, I, I just really think I need to do this. It's on my heart. I feel convicted. So I came to the realization, you know what I'm going to do? 
I'm going to go to that intersection. I'm going to park in one of the gas stations, and I'm just going to sit down, and I'm going to talk to everybody on that intersection, just hear their life, hear their story, hear why they're here, um, and tell them just be honest with me. Like, I'm not trying. I'm a cop. I'm not trying to do anything. I just want to know. So it sounds great, right? And then Thursday night, I'm driving by, and, I, and I'm like, oh, I should stop. And then I drive by. Right? Uh, because in the moment I was talking to the Lord, I was much more on that, yeah, this is exciting. I'm convicted. This is easy. But then when I got in the car and I was driving by, all my disgust and misunderstanding and fear of security, fear of them being tough to talk to, fear of them being smelly, fear of them wanting money, whatever it is, drove me to drive by them. So I'm like pretty discouraged because I knew it, right? I knew I was like, ah, oh, I didn't follow that conviction. That's bad. I'm bad to the Holy Spirit. Um, so later that night, uh, my wife and I are eating an Alguero Canelo. It was a big like anniversary, 25th anniversary. Everything was like $1.50. It was awesome. And of course, our bill was wrong. So I went back and I got my 75 cents that I needed from the bill. I put it in my pocket. We walk out the door. There's a guy standing by my truck. He says, hey, look, I, I really need 75 cents for a bus, bus ticket, which is like classic, right? Um, and, and I'm just like, and I, cause usually you're like, oh, I don't have any cash. That's your excuse, right? Cause you're not a terrible person then. If you lie and you do probably have cash. So I was like, I clearly have changed my pocket. So I was like, here you go. So I gave him that and I was like, nice one. Okay. And then if, as if that wasn't enough, this is just the start. All right. Friday is my day off. And I, I go to the new coffee shop, um, Viva Coffee, which is really awesome over by Little Caesars right over here. And I'm getting out of the coffee shop, about to get my truck, and I look over, and there's a homeless guy sitting right there, like right by the, where you turn into the Nexus. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I thought I already did one. I'm good. I have a story. <laughs> so I'm driving by in the parking lot. I'm going like two miles an hour, and I'm just like looking at him, and I'm driving. And, I, and finally, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, finally, you know what? I just, need, I just need to stop. I just need to stop. And I think the Holy Spirit was just like, Trey, come on, over here. And I, and I went over here and I made a decision. I pulled over and I yelled from my car. I'm like, hey, do you want a sandwich? You know, I didn't know what to say, right? I think most of us actually don't. And he kind of looks at me. And I'm like, I can get you a Subway sub or something because it was in the area. And, and I was like, or, and then I thought about it. I want to have a conversation with this guy. So I said, let me take you to McDonald's. I'll park my truck. We'll walk over. We'll eat dinner and whatever. And it was great. And, um, and so sure enough, we go to McDonald's. And, and we talked for like an hour and a half. I buy him his meal. And um, this is a little bit of the story, which will actually, I think, surprise you. Because in my mind, I'm assuming all these people are, are, they have bad things happen to them. But I think we always assume people can get out of it. Um, but until we're, we're really like listening and hearing the suffering that's gone on, I think we don't really understand. And so I, I heard his story. And, and, uh, and he was actually... I would describe me, and he didn't have like mental illness or anything like that. We had a really awesome conversation. But he, uh, he grew up with, uh, his, his mom died when he was really young, like three. His dad was abusive physically. So he dropped out of school when he was 15 and started bricklaying. He bricklaid for like 30 years. And he messed up his back. And so now he's 61 and he only has, he can only do physical labor because he's got, he has a GED. And, uh, and he has a bad back and he also has vertigo now. He has vertigo a couple times a week, which is like really makes you dizzy and all that. So he can't find a job, and so he's like, I'm just going to live in the desert until maybe next year I've heard I can get, like, early retirement or whatever, right? And, uh, and he lived in a trailer. His trailer got stolen. And so whether or not, here's, here's what you need to realize. In my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, but there was a reason, right? He was probably doing something bad, right? Whether or not, okay, think about the, the, the problem they, uh, as, that they suffer with, as Bonhoeffer says, more in light of what they suffer than what they do or don't do. And so I like felt it in my head. I'm like, yes, okay, just love him, all right? 
So we keep talking, and eventually he talks about how he got a new bike. He was so excited. He got it at Walmart, and then he had it for a couple days, and he was in an office somewhere in downtown, and someone stole it. They cut the cable and stole his bike. And so I'm thinking immediately, I'm like, oh my gosh, add one. So I call up Ben, and he's like, well, we already spent some money, but we got 200 bucks we can give. So knock yourself out for 200 bucks. We go to Walmart. Okay, I drive my truck to Walmart, and uh, we start looking at bikes and all that, and he's like, that's the one I have, the same bike. Of course, he, he wanted it. And so then I got him two locks, one that's like that metal one, you know, and then I got him another cable one. I was like, here you go. And the bill is $199.92. So I, I and, and, and you know, you think even there, right, I did a great thing, cool. And I'm not doing this to brag because I'm really bad at compassion. The Lord's just like, well, you're speaking on Sunday, so I'll use you, okay? And, and, and uh, so I'm thinking, all right, well, this was cool. I said, well, do you want me to take you back to where you were at? Or he, and he's like, well, I, you know, I live right across from the Goodwill on the dirt road. And I was like, oh, I'd love to go because I've always known they've been out there and I really want to check it out. Um, and he's like, well, your truck will get all muddy. And I'm like, why do you think I own a truck, you know? <laughs> and so we drove out there and I got to see where he lives. Uh, I got to talk with him and his buddy, uh, Buppy, and uh, they have a family that's staying there as well, like eight people. And they just like live on a trailer in, in the desert and he sleeps in a tent. And um, and I asked him, I said, well, isn't this area pretty unsafe? There's probably a lot of drugs, right? And he's like, well, on the other side of the water tower, all those people are really addicted to meth and those kind of things. He says, but I, I always been through that and I don't do it anymore. And neither does these families on this side. So this, this place was actually kind of, uh, it appeared pretty safe in terms of what I thought would be, if I'm going to go in here, I'm not coming back out. Tell the wife, like, it's literally 300 yards off the road in the desert. And, and all I'm trying to say is, here, here's a photo of, uh, uh, this is Butch. And this is Chris, his dog, or not his dog, his puppy, his neighbor, his buddy's dog. And it's just a bike, guys. It was just an $8 McDonald's meal. I had coupons. I made it $8 for both of us, okay? It was just like one act of compassion. This guy literally lives two-tenths of a mile down the road, three-tenths of a mile, maybe a mile max, like down the road. And it's not to like brag or anything, but it's just to say like people are in our midst and I think, and if we want to change our intuitions of which way we're leaning or we want to be compassionate, we got to really seek the Lord in terms of give me opportunities to be compassionate and then we got to follow through. We got to pray that the Holy Spirit would choose to help us make decisions. I told this story in the first hour and I just started crying because it was like processing um, how the Lord does stuff like that when you're really wanting it, right, and needing it. And man, I just think like the coolest thing about this story, and this is why my argument is that compassion is contagious, is that whenever I left, he kept talking about, I, I kept telling him about how we do, oh, we do stuff all the time because I didn't want to make it sound like I was just buying him this bike. Like I was so great. I was talking about our church and how we do stuff like this. And I said, yeah, we just built a ramp for um, a family. We had some guys come out and just build this ramp for this, this family who needed a, like the wheelchair access. And I said, we do stuff like that all the time. And he's like, oh, that sounds so cool. He's like, tell me when you're doing it. I want to help. He says, you got me this bike and and I want, to, I want to help in whatever way I can. I know I can't do a lot, but, you know, I've done bricklaying. I've done landscaping. I know, like, woodwork a little bit. He's like, I got a bad back, but I'll, I'll, I'll get through it for a day, even if I'm out the whole next day, because I want to help. I mean, this guy, he's homeless, right? I mean, it's like, it makes you realize that, like, compassion is really contagious, especially if I think we have the heart of, like, who cares what happens? Who cares if he just sold his bike to someone, right? Like, if, if I left and he just sold the bike to someone for money, right? That's not what it's about. Jesus knows even when he's doing these things, these people don't want actually what they need. They just want me because I do stuff for them. Compassion is about a heart for people. The more we're compassionate, the greater our heart is. And, and the, the stronger we can just push away 
the negative intuitions. Let's pray. Hey, Father, thanks for, thanks for speaking to me like that in the story. Um, I was really apprehensive about covering all this passage, and compassion is such a hard posture to maintain, um, especially for someone like me. It's very impatient, doesn't like being interrupted. Thanks for, uh, thanks for Butch and Chris and Buffy and people like that, that uh, it's, not even, it's not even that they're less than us. Like, that's just, that's just what we assume, but they're, they're people, and they, they need love, and they have sufferings that we need to respond to, we need to listen to without, without worrying about their agenda or their motives. Father, I don't know what that looks like in each person's heart, um, whether it's with a homeless person or someone in their family or at their job. Father, just help them to, to seek your spirit in acting in their life to help them make these decisions and to, uh, Father, just to keep fighting the good fight where we continue to just love like Jesus showed his disciples in Mark. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.